0: Shalom, this is Am Levadad Yishkon number 17, and today we're going to wrap up the story of Bil'am. Uh, to a certain extent, we finished that uh, dramatic incident that the Torah recounts for us primarily in Parshat Balak, to a certain extent we finished it last week, and we saw that Bil'am, who came determined uh, to curse Am Yisrael, even though he had been told very clearly that this would be something he was unable to do because it's, in fact, something that's fundamentally impossible. Um, After all, Hashem says, I have blessed them, ki varuchu. So how, in fact, can you curse them? Uh, But Bilam, with the mindset of the magician, the mindset of the kosim, still seemed to believe that he could somehow manage to carry out his will. And in the end... Uh, of course, he was unable to do so. We saw that he wound up giving Am Yisrael three brachot instead of klalot. And we saw that there was a difference between the first two and the third. In the first two, it said very clearly, "Vayasem davar b'fi, b'fi bilam, that Hashem placed the words in Bilam's mouth. Against his will, he became sort of a puppet, sort of a mouthpiece. Um, and he found words coming out of his mouth that he himself had no intention uh, to recite. And those words contain some very, very beautiful and very, very eloquent uh, descriptions of what Am Yisrael is all about. They contained phrases like Hen am levadad yishkon um, uvagoyim lo that this is a nation that shall ever dwell in solitude, ever be alone, not be counted among the nations, uh, which sort of as we've been talking about for this entire series, sort of encapsulates the unique mission uh, that Am Yisrael has in the world, and therefore the unique history that Am Yisrael has to have as a result. And also other verses that uh, that similarly describe Am Yisrael in uh, sort of unique terms. Uh, for example, the phrase, Hinei vareich uvereich velo ashivenu, the admission that uh, God has blessed them and therefore I can't possibly change it. And maybe even most significantly, the expression, um, <clears throat> Hashem elokav imo utruat melech bo. That the reason that uh, that Am Yisrael is sort of invincible is the fact that uh, truat melech bo, The fact that Am Yisrael, by their very existence, represents God to the world, and therefore that Bilam has no power. Even if he has power in other circumstances, he has no power to affect them. This, these are the admissions that came out of his mouth, so to speak, against his will. But then we saw that his third statement was different, and it began with the very, very dramatic pasuk when he made his third attempt to curse them. Suddenly, something happened to Bilam, and there was a moment of honesty or a moment of inspiration. The pasuk said again at the beginning of Parak Havdalat, <inaudible> "Vayar Bilam ki tov beine Hashem levarichet Yisrael." Bilam saw that in fact it was good in the eyes of God. Uh, to bless Am Yisrael. he did not follow his normal pattern of trying to use magic and instead it said that he had in fact a divine inspiration shalov and he began to speak as a true prophet, not as a um, not just as a mouthpiece with words put in his mouth against his will. And there again, he praised Am Israel, Matovu Yaakov, Yisrael, Matovu, O Halecha, Yaakov, Mishkin, Otecha, Yisrael, etc. And he ended with a very, very, very significant admission of Mivarechecha Baruch ve'orerecha Arur, and we spoke last time about the significance of that in light of the beginning of Parshat Balak and in light of Parshat Lech Lecha. In theory, therefore, the story has come to its end, and Balak, um, furious with Bilam, sends him home, uh tells him that I promise to honor you, but you have no you do not deserve my honor, lecha el mekomecha, run away. However, the story's not really over, and there are two addenda to the story. The first is that before Bilam leaves, he says to Balak In um in Perek Chaf Dalid uh, Pasuk Yud Dalid, he says, Vatahinani I'm going home. But before I go, Let me just give you some advice. Advice that at this point was unsolicited. Let me give you some advice. I want to let you know what this nation is going to do to your people at the end of days. And he gives another short nevuah, un, uh, unsolicited. With your permission, I'd like to come back to this final nivua of Bilam. Uh, towards the end of today's podcast, and first, I want to go towards the, so to speak, the postscript to the story. Um, the story, in theory, ends at the end of Dalid, where it says Vayakam Bilam, Vayelech, Vayashav Limkomo, Vegam Balak, Halach Ledarko. In theory, Bilam goes home, Balak goes home, and the story is over. But then the Torah goes ahead and tells us a story that ostensibly is completely unrelated. You'll see in a few minutes why we say ostensibly. But the Torah tells us a story that it seems is unrelated other than the very, very ironic and depressing contrast that the story um, portrays. A very short story um, that takes up a total of nine sukim, or perhaps 15 if you include the, the second half of it the very end of Parshat Balak, and the beginning of Parshat Pinchas. Let's read the story in full. Vayeshev Yisrael Bashitim. Am Yisrael was in this place called Shitim, below Moab, in the very area where, unbeknownst to them, Bilam had stood on tops of the mountains and had pronounced these very, very eloquent phrases and praises and blessings. Um, and had said all these wonderful things about them. And in reality, their behavior uh, was a little bit different. And the people began to act immorally, to prostitute themselves with the daughters of Moab. Uh, They began to uh, have illicit relations with these young women who were the daughters of Moab, the enemy. Or actually not the enemy. They didn't realize that Moab was their enemy. Remember, we said at the first of this little mini part of the series um, when we talked about the end of Parshat uh, Chukat and, and, the, and, and the description of the events in Dvarim that Am Yisrael had really no intention to attack Moab at all because because they were um, protected, and Hashem had instructed Moshe Rabbeinu to avoid any any uh, any uh, conflict with Moab, but uh, but Moab viewed themselves as an enemy, and that's why Balak had called Bilam to attack them. So essentially, Moab is the enemy, but Bnei Israel Amisrael didn't probably didn't know that Moab was their enemy. In any case, um, they wind up um, members of, of Am Yisrael wind up in illicit relations with these women. From the, uh, from the nation of Moab. So it begins with sexual immorality, but it doesn't end there. And they, um these girls called the people and invited them to join in their, uh, feasts f- to their gods. In other words, to pagan worship. They, so what began with a form of what might be known as giloy arayot, what began with a form of sexual immorality, Degenerated ultimately into, into, uh, idolatry. And, uh, the people, uh, ate and drank and ultimately bowed. Ultimately bowed to the foreign gods. And the, the nation of Am Yisrael became Tzamud. They became um, they began to cleave. They began to cling very, very closely to this idolatry known as Baal Peor. And vayichar Av Hashem Israel, This led to divine wrath against against the Jewish people, against Am Yisrael. Um, as seems to be somewhat um, somewhat characteristic of Am Yisrael. When Jews get involved in something, whatever ism it is or whatever ideology or whatever religion, whatever it is that, that, that Jews get involved in, we seem to have this capacity to do so with great enthusiasm for good or for bad. And in this case, it was Baal Peor. So, vayitzamed Yisrael the Baal Peor. Not just that we worshipped it, but that we did so with enthusiasm and perhaps even with dedication and this of course uh, created great anger uh, to God. So first of all this uh, this needs to be seen as a dramatic contrast. Bilam standing up there, Bilam and Balak on the mountains looking down, he sees Matovu ohalekha Yaakov, mishkeno tacha He sees this beautiful nation and the Midrashim, I don't remember if we spoke about them last week, but the Midrashim connect that Matovu Halecha Yaakov to a uh, well-known Midrash that Rashi quotes that the uh, the tents were arranged in such a way as in order to ensure modesty uh, and dignity that the people couldn't see into each other's uh, private spaces, uh, so that there's a certain amount of dignity and respect and modesty that the people have. Uh, another Midrash refers to the Ohalim and the Mishkinot as Batei Knesset and Batei Midrashot, places of prayer, places of study. Uh, so he sees these people that are dignified, that are spiritual, that are godly, that are holy, and in reality, that's maybe what it looked like from afar. But in reality, what was going on below was giloya Arayot um, and Avodah Zara, and not just that, but actually Avodah Zara, perhaps of a particularly uh, disturbing and damaging type. And for those who aren't familiar, Rashi quotes the uh, rabbinic midrash that says, "Why was this particular? Why was this particular?" Um, uh why was this particular uh idolatry or pagan worship, why was it referred to as Baal Peor Al Shame pi hatabatu the Zohi Avodato? perhaps in the ish in the interest of uh delicacy I won't translate that exactly into English, but it means that the people worship this the, the worship of this particular involved the most base uh of human activities, the type of things we do in the bathroom uh, to deal with our physical needs were done in front of the idol as part of its worship. And, uh, I remember hearing a number of years ago, I, I think several times in fact, from Moreno Verabeno Amital Zeichet Tzadik Levracha. I remember Ravamital explaining, uh, what's the idea behind this, uh, this concept that, um, that uh, the people would go to the bathroom in front of the idol. Uh, what, what were they thinking? And he explained that in fact there was a, there was an ideology uh, in Or an ideology that's very, very prevalent, actually, in modern Western culture. The idea that anything that's natural, anything that's the way God made us, the way we are, that which uh, comes naturally to us, is in fact not only good, but holy, and that's something which should be celebrated, should be flaunted, and perhaps even should be worshipped. Um, and in fact, uh, we actually can see uh, many aspects of this ideology in different movements or different ideas that are prevalent in common culture today. And according to Rav Amital, at least, this is what Baal Peor was. In any case, according to the rabbis, Baal Peor involved this very, very, very um, disgusting and very, very lowly sort of uh, activities in the name of some kind of, uh, some kind of worship. And then it says, uh I'm sorry. Then it says, um af Hashem biYisrael." Hashem got very angry at Am Yisrael, which, according to Rashi, means that a plague began. We'll see the plague in any case uh, in a few pesukim. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, kachet kol rachei ha'am behokah otam la'shem neged hashamesh. And then we have a really horrific scene where Moshe was commanded in a scene sort of reminiscent of Cheta Egel, which was perhaps the lowest point um, since Yitziat Mitzrayim. Moshe is commanded again to uh, take the, uh, the leaders of the people and to uh, physically root out those evildoers, those who had gotten involved in the, uh, in the sins with the Benot Moab, and to, to kill them in front of everybody in order to end the plague. So Moshe, uh, told the people that uh, they have to do this, that anyone who was involved with Baal Peor has to be killed. Leinei Moshe, ulenei kol adat benei Israel, vehema avokhim petach o hamoed. And then one of the people who we'll see later his name, of course, uh, took a Midianite woman. Now we see that it wasn't only the Moabite women, but also the Midianite women that were involved. You may recall from the beginning of Parshat Balak that Moab and Midian were allies, and apparently there were not only military and political relations between them, but perhaps social relations as well, and there were Midianite women and Moabite women involved. And um, a person, one of those who was committing the sin, took one of these women and committed the sin with her in front of everybody, in front of Moshe and Aharon, in a very demonstrative sort of way. And from this we see that, on the one hand, there's a brazenness about it. In other words, um, there was just a command to execute all of these people, and the way in which uh, this individual chose to fight against that, uh, not to defend himself, perhaps, but to uh, go out and antagonistically, um, you know, uh, Sort of uh, sort of defend his right, as it were, to sin by by doing so publicly. Perhaps there was a political motivation there. Perhaps he felt that he would gain the support of the people, um, and uh, you know that they would rally up against those who were trying to kill them, or something like that. But it also seems that there was an ideological component in this. In other words, this wasn't the sins that they were involved in weren't just. Sins that were caused by ta'ava, by desires, by sexual desire, and perhaps by some sort of misguided spiritual desire, or by desire simply to fit in, or whatever it is. But no, it seems that there was a real ideology here, and um, uh, whatever the cause of it initially, uh, it had come to the point that he was, so to speak, fighting for his right to engage in all these abominations. And again, the sins with the women were connected with the idolatry of Baal Peor, and the idolatry of Baal Peor was connected with the very particular type of ideology that was connected with all of that. And this individual comes in front of, after Moshe Rabbeinu received the divine command and has now told the people to go ahead and carry out the uh, mission of killing anyone that was involved in this terrible sin. This individual fights back, so to speak, by taking this young woman and committing this sin with her in front of everybody and in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. And in front of all of the leaders of the people, Vehema bochim, And Moshe was apparently so uh, distraught by this, so shocked by this depravity, that he could only cry. He had no response, nothing what to do. Didn't know what to do. Vayar Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon HaKohem Vayakom ito ida Vayikach romach Biato. Pinchas, who's listed here with his full lineage, full lineage a grandson of Aharon, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon, who the rabbis tell us even though he was a descendant of Aharon, he actually was not a Kohen. Why? Because Aharon and his sons and his descendants, Aharon and his sons had been made into Kohanim. And any children that would be born from those uh, sons, and their sons, and their sons, and their sons, all the way down to today's Kohanim, all of those Kohanim have the Kedushah of the Kehuna, because it was passed down from father to son. But Pinchas, the eldest grandson, had already been born, and therefore Pinchas was the only member of Aaron's family who wasn't a Kohen, because he had already been born when his Father and uncles and grandfather were introduced into the kihuna, and he was a child at the time, and he was not a Kohen. But nevertheless, he's from this lineage. And therefore, he sees what's going on. And he took a spear in his hand. In the midst of this horrific scene, people are dying from some sort of a plague. There's some sort of an epidemic and people are dying. There's this command to kill all these people. There's this response of uh, this anarchist, I guess you can call him, who takes this woman and is committing this sin with her. All the leaders of the people are crying, uh, this crisis situation. And again, all of this in the shadow of the idea that up on the top of the mountain, uh, just a brief time earlier, Bilam had pronounced these incredible prophecies about the uniqueness and the spirituality and the holiness and the dignity in the of this people. And all of this is going on, a complete, total breakdown of everything that happens. And Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon Kohen takes this, comes me and we'll talk about the meaning of those words in a minute. And he grabs the spear... And he goes and he kills the person who was doing the sin, both the man and the woman. And the plague immediately stops. Only after, as we're told, by only after 24,000 people had been killed, apparently primarily from the tribe of Shimon. But Pinchas brought about the end to this, um, brought about an end to the plague, and assumedly also brought about an end to the sin, because people saw what happened. And now the Torah continues, it's the beginning of Parsha Pinchas. When we read this in the Beit Knesset, it's a full week later, but it's actually only the next Pasuk. <laughs> Hashem praises Pinchas and says that it's because of Pinchas. He's the one who um, who brought an end to my anger and prevented the destruction of the entire people therefore hashem says British shalom paradoxically and there's a tremendous amount of philosophy in this expression which I don't think we have the time to go into now but it's worth contemplating pinchas who committed an act um which can only be described as a violent one is actually rewarded with the covenant of peace british shalom and it's worth con- contemplating why that should be but in any case, and he uh, in in return for what he did, he also now he and all of his future descendants are introduced into the kihuna, and he joins the rest of the family in becoming one of the one of the kohanim and one of the in fact major progenitors of uh, of those who came after from the uh, from the tribe of the kohanim. And then we're simply told, And we're told simply that uh, the name of the person and the identity, of the man and the woman, they were both prominent people. Uh, the man who was killed by Pinchas was the head of one of the major families in the tribe of Shimon, Zimri ben Salu, and the woman, was uh, also the daughter of a prominent chief, a tribal chieftain in Midian. Rosh umot beitav beMidian. Pinchas killed these two people, notwithstanding their important lineage, uh, and brought about this dramatic change. And following this comes the command to Moshe Rabbeinu Saroret to Midianim vihikitemotam, uh the command to to destroy to fight against Midian, not against Moab, because even though Moab was also involved. Remember the the women that were involved in this with the daughters of Midian and Moab. Uh, but Moab had been protected, we've seen. Am is not allowed to fight with Moab, so they were spared even the retribution that might have been due to them for what they had done to the people here. Uh, but Midian was not spared, and there's a war against Midian, a very unusual war, in which the young girls had to be killed. Normally women who aren't soldiers aren't killed in war. But in this case, because it was the women that uh, that brought about the destruction, they had to be killed as well. So we have here this very, very depressing story that comes immediately after the events of uh, Bil'am. And um, one might have thought that these are really two unrelated events that are simply juxtaposed in the Torah, either because simply they took place in chronological succession, and perhaps also to draw uh, dramatic attention, as we've seen, to the irony of uh, of what's going on here. Uh, But in fact, if you read carefully, you'll see that in fact these events were were more closely related than at first meets the eye. Um, and here we see uh, Tupsukim that mentioned Bilam first of all, in the description of the battle itself, um, after the um, in the description of the battle after the, which takes place, the battle only takes place uh, later on in the Book of Bamidbar, it's told to us in uh, Paraglamid Aleph in Parshat Matot. Uh, we see that, the, in fact, the, the command to fight against Midian was carried out, and um, they went ahead and uh, the people, they put Moshe put together an army, and they um, they fought against, Midian, and they won the war. And Perek Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Chet, tells us something somewhat surprising. That Malchey Midian hargu al they won the war. Or maybe, let's go back to Pasuk Zion. kasher tziva Hashem et Moshe. The people attacked Midian as they had to punish Midian for what they had done. Um, with their daughters being involved in the sin and involving the people in Giloya Rayot and Shfihu and uh and Avodazara. And Moshe was commanded to wipe them out, so the people did so. Vayahargu Kol Zachar, and they killed all the men is what's to be done in a war. Vet they killed all the enemy soldiers basically. Vet Hargu al- Khalem And we're told that they even killed the kings, the leaders of the Midianim, Um, and we're even given the names of the five kings they killed. And surprising, we're also told Veet Bilam ben Beor Hargu Becharev. We find that Bilam was killed in this battle. That's very strange, because Bilam, we had told him, went home, and he didn't live anywhere near this area. He came from the land of Aram, much further north and east of here. What was Bilam doing there? How is it that he was killed in the battle if, in fact, he went home? And the the answer to that puzzle is given to us in another pasuk, sort of beneath the surface, without drawing our attention to it. When we're told later on that there was a question, what to do with the female captives? Again, normally women are not killed in battle because normally women aren't soldiers. But in this case, as I mentioned, the women needed to be killed because they were really the ones who brought about the who brought about the entire reason for the war. And uh, we're told later on that Moshe Moshe got angry at the people who initially left the women alive. So if we look in Parak Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Yud Dalid, we read, Moshe Alp Sareha Sareha Moshe got angry at the people who had um who had come back from the war, Did you really leave the women alive? They were the ones who ultimately brought about the destruction, because they're the ones who... Seduced the people and involved them, got them involved in the idolatry which brought about the destruction. But it says here in the middle of all this that this was done, bidvar bilam. And suddenly everything becomes clear. Bilam was involved in this. This wasn't just a random sin that the people committed because of some sort of base desires, but this was a plan. The daughters of Moab and Midian were sent out intentionally to to seduce the people. And this was done at the advice of Bilam. In the end of Parsha Balak, it sounds like Balak chased him away and he went home, but here we're told explicitly that no, Bilam said something else to Balak that wasn't told to us there. And now we can put all the pieces together. Indeed, Bilam understood the uniqueness of Am Yisrael, and indeed, there was a brief moment where Bilam said the truth, and a true spirit of prophecy came upon him, and he said, "Matovu o halecha Yaakov, Mishkin Otecha Yisrael." And he went back to Balak afterwards, and he said, "Look, Balak, first you were thought maybe you could defeat them on the battlefield, but after they destroyed Sichon and Og, you understood that they couldn't. Then you thought they could be defeated spiritually." And you thought that in order to do that, you needed to bring me because I'm a kosem and Moshe is a kosem in in your mind. And therefore, if you can bring a bigger kosem, I'll be able to defeat them, a better magician. But as you just heard from me, magic isn't going to work here because these people have special protection. These people represent God. But that Balak, that Balak is their secret. We can defeat them by simply bringing them. We can't bring them down. But we can have them bring themselves down. Why is it that it's impossible to curse them? I told you already. Hashem uchurat Bo. The reason why they are protected is because they represent God. Matovu Alecha Yaakov Mishkinotecha Yisrael. Because look at them, they have spirituality, they have modesty, they have dignity. And it's for that reason that, If we can cause them to, we can't attack them. But if we can cause them to bring themselves down, to stop representing what they represent, then they're going to become vulnerable. And therefore all we have to do is seduce them. We have to bring them to sin. And we sent them out. So it was Bilam's idea, and the women that were sent out were actually soldiers in the battle. They were sent out with an admission, a mission to infiltrate, a mission to cause Bnei Israel to bring themselves down. And for that reason the women needed to be killed as as enemy soldiers and Bilam as the enemy general. And so they were all killed, and that's how Bilam met his end. The only question that's left to ask is whether in fact Bilam was right. Whether in fact it's true that the eternal Eternity of Am Yisrael, when he when he pro, pro, prophesied that Am Yisrael will always, he said, "Hain Am Yakum." This is a nation like a that rises like a lion. Kimenu, and nobody can stand up when a lion uh, crouches and uh, attacks its prey. Was Bilam in fact right about that? From the story of. Benot Moav and Baal Peor, it sounds initially like he was. After all, he succeeded to get the people to sin, and he succeeded in bringing about a magifa that managed to kill 24,000 people. So perhaps, perhaps Am Yisrael is vulnerable. Perhaps Am Yisrael is not really as eternal uh, as he might have thought. But of course, that's not the correct interpretation. And why not? Because of Pinchas. Because, Vayakom mitoch because Pinchas arose from within the people, and Pinchas represents a certain quality that Am Yisrael has, a certain regenerative quality. Am Yisrael may sin, and Am Yisrael may be punished, and Am Yisrael may bring about all kinds of damage to themselves, and Am Yisrael may suffer, but within Am Yisrael, there's always going to be a Pinchas who's going to lakum Mitoha Ida, who's going to rise up from within the people, and at the last moment perhaps, but always bring Am Yisrael back. And that's the true uniqueness of Am Yisrael. So Bilam, in his life told us the uniqueness of our people and Bilam, in his death also showed us that because he thought he had figured out the secret to defeat us. But as he had already been told, it's impossible to ultimately bring about the destruction of Am Yisrael because Am Yisrael is blessed not only because God has chosen us, but because there's a unique power within Am Yisrael that's represented by Pinchas. And we will begin a new set of discussions next week trying to understand what that unique eternal regenerative, regenerative character is within Am Yisrael. We'll begin by going back to that little piece we skipped of the... Um, of the final prophecies of uh, Bilam and connecting it with Pinchas and looking uh, at certain sections in Sefer Dvarim uh, and we'll take it from there. Until next week, I wish you Shalom.